There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. It's fall. The geese are headed south, and it's time for you to hit the woods. So button things up, find where they hide, and pattern the deer you seek. Come into Cabela's Great Outdoor Days and save over 20% on Herder's select grade handgun ammo. Save $180 after mail-in rebate on Walther PPS M2 pistols with instant savings of $80. And get a Vortex Diamondback 3.5 to 10 by 50 V-Plex rifle scope, just $149.99. Shop in-store and at Cabela's.com. Blog Talk Radio. Missing Joe today though. Joe pumped out on us. No, I'm kidding. He had he had got the kid tonight, so all good. We got some great stand-ins tonight. We actually have two of our newest staff members. I'm gonna give them a chance to introduce themselves. Joey, Dylan, you guys there? Yep. Here we are. Yes. All right. All What's right. What's going on, Mike? Doing? doing good, man. How you guys doing? Doing good, man. Uh, good, yeah, I just got back from. Uh... Just got back from training camp. It was awesome. Ah, how was that? It was pretty. It was pretty low key. I would say that they, you know, they didn't have pads. Sammy Watkins was observing mostly, and uh, yeah, it just seems like they were just kind of going through the motions, and you know, a good way. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know what? We'll start off. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. I know that you both have been introduced to the site already, but give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves to everyone listening. Um, this is going to be a fun episode. We got so much stuff to talk about over the, that's happened over the past week. Uh, Joey, you want to go ahead and go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Joey Coyne, and uh, I've lived in Southern California my uh, whole life. So, been around fans since I was a kid, and you know. To be honest, I I kind of tuned out a little bit during the during the St. Louis years, but I always told myself that I really ramp up the intensity if they ever came back, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And so, uh, yeah, I um, I'm a screenwriter, do a lot of writing, and uh, just really into uh, football. I'm also a big Dodgers fan, and uh, I've been reading Tush Showtime for a long time, so I think I. I was really excited to see that there was an opportunity to join the site. And, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be part of the team. All right, all right. Dylan? Uh, I'm Dylan Cardwell. I live in 
Salt Lake City, Utah. One of the few fans that are one of the few Rams fans that actually <laughs> live in Utah. Uh, I've been a fan for about 17 years now. I'm actually the youngest member of Show Times that I know of, as I'm still in high school. And uh, this, this is new to me. I did not know you were the youngest. Yeah, I think I'm by far the youngest by about maybe five years. Uh, I've been reading Show Times now for maybe three or four years, and I was really excited when I saw the opportunity to join the site. I applied, and I got in, I guess. Now, you have to tell everyone how living in Salt Lake City, Utah, you became a Rams fan. This is this is like must-know moment right here. <laughs> well, I guess I got to give all the – I got to give all the credit to my dad. He's been a fan now for 37 years, ever since they lost the Super Bowl to the Steelers. He just Shout stuck with it through all the times, and I guess I just grew up in the Rams household. That'll all do right, it. All right. Yep, that will do it. Shout out to dad. Way to bring him on early. Teach him young. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we have had such a crazy, crazy week this past week. Like, so much stuff is going on. Like, what do you guys? What, what have you thought about like some of the moves that's been made, like the trades, and you know Aaron Donald still isn't anywhere to be found. But then you you know the trade that the, what it opens up for some people, closes for others. I mean, man, it's, it was a crazy week, and we had our first game action. We're we're gonna get to that. So, Dylan, what are you, what are your thoughts so far about this trade? Like, how are you feeling about it as far as EJ Gaines leaving? What doors it might open for other players and as far as Sammy Watkins coming in and what doors might be closed on some players. Like you said, this is this is this was a crazy, crazy week. That trade just came out of nowhere, just completely blindsided us. On the on the defensive end with DJ Games leaving, this really gives cornerbacks uh Michael Jordan and Troy Hill a chance to step up into the fourth cornerback role and maybe earn a roster spot as well as one of the undrafted guys such as Kevin Peterson or Arian Penton being able to secure a spot. And then on the offensive end, Sammy Watkins obviously takes over as the number one option. And then you see guys like even Kayvon Austin and Josh Reynolds getting pushed further down. This really, really will limit, I think, Tavon Austin's role in the offense and potentially make him a cut at season's end. Yeah, you know, and that's the, that's kind of the common thought right now, you know, is that it's over for Tavon Austin, essentially. Well, like, what are you thinking about it, Joey? Well, I thought it was really uncharacteristic of the team. I mean, it was just a a great trade, and I think that, you know, by by moving EJ Gaines, who I thought was having a nice preseason, was just such a smart move because you're just selling when he's high and getting someone that you just desperately needed. And I think the person, I think the receiver that's going to probably be affected most negatively might be Mike Thomas because he just was kind of filling that role that we were hoping um, that, you know, we needed so desperately. And then now Samuel Watkins is pretty much kind of fill it, filling in for that, for that need. And I think Mike Thomas is kind of doubling up that and much more experienced, you know, not as talented as Samuel Watkins. So I, uh, I don't know if he's as necessary to keep on that receiving core as he was last week. You know, it's, it's so interesting because I promise you I have thought about this nonstop since the, when the trade happened, I was literally walking back into my office to get ready for a meeting, 
And <laughs> when I heard the trade, I was just like, wait a sec, what? <laughs> I forgot everything that I needed to do. Like, I had a call I had to get off. I was not ready for it. <laughs> I was so caught off guard by this news. I've been thinking about it nonstop, and I'm just like, okay, there's obviously going to be a trickle-down effect, right? But what what is this trickle-down effect going to be and to what extent? Like, I was kind of um, – I was kind of feeling like we were going to see seven receivers on the active roster this season, and this really doesn't do anything but make me feel even stronger about that. Because I truly believe I believe Sean McVay when he when he talks about uh, Mike Thomas and how much he's grown on him and how much he likes Mike Thomas and how he wants to you know wants to have him as an active, useful part of the offense. You know, so I, I really think Mike Thomas has a spot on this team when he gets back from suspension and. I was going back and forth. My initial thought was kind of how, you know, how Dylan just said that Tavon Austin might be out the door. That was my first thought. But then I kind of started thinking about it a little bit more, and I want to know what you guys think about this. But Tavon Austin, as we all know, has never really had a true uh, offensive-minded staff to work with, you know, and he's never really had, you know, that good of a quarterback and no real weapons around him. You know, we've, I, I feel like we've yet to really see – how good Tavon Austin can be. And I don't think there's an, an offensive-minded coach in the entire NFL that would not want to work with Tavon Austin. Because it's not like he's been just a complete bust. You know, he's he scored, I think, 19 touchdowns in his uh, four seasons, 26 if you add in, or 25 if you add in the ones that's been called back on penalties through no fault of his own. You know, so it's not like he's been this complete bust or anything like that. He's still a very explosive player, that's never really been used properly. You know, running speed out, <laughs> you know, for four years probably isn't the, the greatest way to use a player, especially when they're explosive, rather than use, giving them upfield. You know, you're just running them to the sideline. I really believe that there's a chance Sean McVay doesn't, doesn't want to deal uh, Tavon Austin. And there's been, there's been a report that they have actually shot down the opportunity to deal Tavon Austin you know, that they want to keep him, which it would make sense if you're thinking about the fact that we now see a offensive-minded coach at the helm, you know, why wouldn't you want explosiveness all over the field when you have Sammy Watkins and you have Tavon Austin and then you have possession chain movers and Cooper Cup and you have it in Robert Woods and then you have scene stretching tight ends from both Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, to – or an offensive-minded coach to want to keep a team on offense? What do you got? Like, what are you guys thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, for, for sure. Wait, go ahead. You can go ahead, Joey. I mean, I I, I would love to see him on and fulfill his potential. And, I mean, I'm rooting for the guy. And I think definitely Samuel Watkins is a different player. So I don't think that it pushes him, you know, into the shadows. I think I think he still has an opportunity to be the guy who they signed that contract to. I I just feel like there's a lot of guys right now that you know could play wide receiver for the Rams just to have on that roster. So you know I, I think about guys like Sarah Cooper who you know I really like who I think looks good in practice. But you know how many guys can you put out there? So it's going to be really interesting yeah. to see these next couple of preseason games and to see who rises to the top. I mean I. I I hadn't been a big Cooper Cup guy, but, like, I mean, in practice today, I felt like every time the ball got thrown, Cooper Cup was the guy that caught it. And he's just always 
just around the ball and everything. They love him. And, you know, and I think it, it, it hurts Davon Austin that he's not out there in practice. So I think we're, we're seeing a lot of looks from guys that are healthy, obviously. So, you know, I'm just so interested to see what Tavon can do when he's ready to get out there and practice with these guys because there's a lot of unanswered questions right now with him. Hey, Joe, it sounds like we're losing, losing you a little bit. Uh, might be the, the, the receiver on the, on the phone. Um, just check for me. Testing. Can you hear me now? Uh, I better. I, I hear you perfect. That is flawless. Look at that, <laughs> Dylan. What you what you think about this Tavon Austin situation? You think that uh, think you, you think that there's a chance that legitimate chance that uh, Sean McVay may want to work with him, or are you kind of set in stone that he's probably out of here after the year? I I actually like I feel like completely agree with you. I think that he really hasn't had an offensive minor coach or even an offensive coordinator that's really given him the opportunity to create plays for himself, but he really hasn't helped himself. The Giants game the past year, he even though he caught a touchdown, yeah. he had he had two passes where he where it just deflected off his hands and into the Giants defender's arms and then so I think this really is Tavon Austin's make or break year. His cap hit is yeah. high. He's making way too much for the production he's had. So yeah, I think this really is his make or break year. He either shows that he belongs or I think he's out the door. No, I, I think that you put it perfectly like make or break. Like this is it. And it's so interesting. It's how everything's kind of aligning right now. Um, you look at the uh, fact that Lance Dunbar is hurt. You know, that's a role that Tavon Austin can easily fill. In fact, it's something that he's done a lot over the past three years is lining up in the backfield and, you know, moving out and being going to the receiver position from the backfield. And for the first time ever since Sean McVay has been at the helm, you know, we finally heard him talk about Tavon Austin in, in the sense of what Tavon Austin has been doing since he got to the NFL, mentioning the the reverses and catching the ball out of the backfield screens and using him all over the field. Up until the Sammy Watkins trade, we've only heard about him talk about Tavon Austin as a vertical threat. You know, but once Sammy Watkins got here, then it was like, oh, we can use him like this. So that's why I say I think that he is interested in doing all the things that Tavon Austin has done, but then also still – trying to see if he knows how to create space for Tavon Austin, which, I mean, let's just be honest, Tavon Austin in space is explosive. You know, that's why he's so good at punt return, you know, because he, he starts off in space. You know, so if he, but when you have offensive coordinators who don't really uh, understand how to do that, you know, first year, first time offensive coordinators, that, that can be kind of hard to do. So I think that that will be something very interesting to keep an eye on as we move forward. Just overall, though, as, and I, uh, Dylan, you touched on it, the DJ Gaines part of the deal, I think that's probably the sleeper part. That's a very bold move <laughs> to make. You know, uh, we're talking about a position that I think pretty much everyone going into the draft was saying the Rams have to take a quarterback at some point in this draft, especially with this draft being so deep at quarterback. They don't take any. And then they turn around a few months later and they trade one of the cornerbacks that was possibly going to start for them. That's that's a bold statement as far as what they believe they have on the depth chart already. You guys think so? Oh, definitely. I think that I think that trading the number four corner in EJ Gaines really is a bold move. But really is a bold move because if you have someone like Kayvon Webster or Tremaine Johnson get hurt, now you have 
Troy Hill or Mike Jordan stepping into a starting role. And that's – Troy Hill last year had an opportunity to start, and he really didn't perform as you'd want from a starting cornerback, and Mike Jordan really hasn't been tested. So it's really showing a lot of faith in the depth, in the depth by yeah. trading each of the games. And, and for sure with, I think, Mike Jordan, he seems to be a guy that looks good. You know, I, I really liked how he looked in the first preseason game. And even just what they're saying about him in practice, it feels like they have a lot of faith in him. And it feels like their backup cornerbacks seem to be, um, you know, they seem to be confident with it. So let's hope for the best. Yeah, that's that's about all you can do at this point. The deal is done now. <laughs> I, I definitely think that um, of the two last year between Mike Jordan and Troy Hill, Mike Jordan, as far as uh, lining up a corner, Mike Jordan definitely outshined Troy Hill, in my opinion. Um, he didn't give up any big plays. Uh, things underneath was caught, but he was a, he was a, actually showed very well at tackling. Uh, he was very aggressive in the tackle. He played well at run support. Um, but he didn't give up any big plays. However, Troy Hill gave up quite a few big plays. Um, it wasn't it wasn't very pretty watching Troy Hill out there. He was getting burned a lot. Where Troy Hill did shine, however, was on special teams, which makes me say, um, what what if the what if the pecking order is sort of Mike Jordan then Troy Hill, but Troy Hill is more so that cornerback? Because usually the bottom of the cornerback depth chart are the guys that's on special teams. What if Mike Jordan doesn't play special teams as much as Troy Hill? Because Troy Hill was truly a special teams ace last year. He. He looked really good out there, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that's kind of what is what is headed towards. And you know, I agree with I agree with you, Joey. He he looked really really good out there. Um, Mike Mike Jordan did. He looked really really good out there in the first preseason game. That almost interception was a thing of beauty. <laughs> it, it was really good. And if if he really thought he if he really thought he caught it and uh, he wasn't playing it off, I can understand because on first look, it definitely looked like that was a, a clean catch. Highly highly impressive. <laughs> Um, so what is so? How does who who do you think that's going to be most impacted as far as the um, the offense goes with all these moves that's being made? I, I I feel like the easy answer would be Jared Goff, but I feel like there's just so many different routes and things you, you can look at just again from that trickle down effect. Like so, what is uh, how do you think that the current moves that's been made is going to really affect some of these uh, players moving forward on offense? Well, I'd have to say that uh, optimistically, I, I really wanted to affect Todd Gurley because, you know, I could be thinking about Sammy Watkins and not be loading the box. And I think this is, you know, on paper, I think a, a perfect solution to the, to the Todd Gurley problem. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, Todd Gurley start, you know, playing like he did in his rookie season. And if it takes trading for Sammy Watkins, then. You know, we're going to be in great shape. What do you think, Dylan? I completely agree. I think I think you would love to just say that it, that affects Jared Goff, but I really think that the main person really is Todd Gurley that it's, that it's affect. You even saw it on Saturday against the Cowboys. They were still stacking eight in the box against them. They have no respect for our passing game. So if you have Sammy Watkins out there, that automatically commands a cornerback and even an over-the-top safety. Really, it just helps the entire offense. It helps all the other receivers. It helps the tight ends. It helps. It helps Jared Goff, and more, most importantly, it helps Todd Gurley because his 
as as Todd Gurley goes, our offense goes. For sure. No, I, I, I definitely agree. It definitely will because, I mean, let's be honest. If you throw out a healthy uh, Sammy Watkins who uh, over the past three years is second to only T.Y. Hilton in the average yards per catch, again, that's higher than Deshaun Jackson we're talking. <laughs> I think Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson came in like third, and believe it or not, Kenny Britt was right after that. But, um, you know, for him to to have the yards per catch that he does um, over the past three years, it's really, it's really impressive. He's a true take-the-top-off receiver. Like, he can really, really get behind your, your secondary. But you add that dimension to your offense, and you're talking about trying to stack the box. You're just giving free reign to a player like that. So I think that I think teams will have to, you know, they're going to be forced to ease up out of the box, we'll, which will open up more lane for Todd Gurley. And you know, I thought about that part, but here's a here's a a, a surprise that uh, kind of came to me earlier in the day today. You know, someone I think that's really going to benefit from the uh, arrival of Sammy Watkins outside of Todd Gurley and Jerry Goff. It's actually going to be Cooper Cup. <laughs> you know, as a rookie who's got all the hype in the world, you have a huge X on your back. Um, now you add in a Sammy Watkins who, as we said, is going to draw a lot of attention, but you also have to figure out a way to cover him without taking too much from the box to contain Gurley. That's a lot of attention you're putting on two players. It's kind of going to let the rookie kind of roll a little bit, you know, which – could could result in quite a uh, quite a bit of success. I think that the the uh, overall rookie numbers for him might have just gone up because of the fact that Sammy Watkins is actually in town. So that'd be something to that'd be something interesting interesting to watch as the preseason goes on. Um, Sean McVay has already kind of confirmed that you know the preseason game the goal is to you know get the starters, including Jerry Goff, all playing for about a quarter in an extra series going into the uh, second quarter. And then and the third one is to play the first, full first half in an extra series going into the second half. So he plans to get them a lot of clock. Huge jump in the two series we saw them play in the first one. So it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out. I think that, I think we can expect to see Timmy Watkins lined up on the field with them when they line up uh, next weekend. Um, in the third preseason game, it wouldn't shock me to see the whole unit there with Tavon Austin included as they say his hamstring is getting pretty close, so I think it'll be a, 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 an interesting first look in Game Three of what the entire offense is going to look like. Do you think you know that third game? Do you think the offensive line is going to be the same that lined up against Dallas, or do you think there's going to be more changes? You know, that's that's such a good question. Like, it's it's like how do you how do you justify what you saw from Jamon Brown? You know, on the first run play of the game. He takes a false step to the outside and opens up the inside, and the defender crosses his face, beats him bad, and tackles Todd Gurley for a four-yard loss. And it was it – was, and it's all in the footwork. It's the smallest thing that opened up that crease. You know, that false step to the outside opened up just a slither of a crease, and the defender just so happened to be taken off on the snap, you know, which is expected considering it's the first run play of the game. It's early in the game, you know. It's not like his fourth quarter where there's a chance the player might take a playoff and can recover. He's fresh, <laughs> you know, and you come out of the gate and you make that, that one false step and you kind of screw yourself and you ultimately screw Todd Gurley. You know, so when you see – and then, that wasn't the only play, but that's how it started off. That was his first play. You know, so when you see that, it, it's hard to say that 
Jamal Brown has cemented, you know, that role. And Sean McVay really didn't do any favors. And I, at this point, it's kind of hard to tell with Sean McVay what first-year coach mistake from the way that he words things and what he really means it. You know, for when he talks about Jared Goff and Sean Mayan earlier in the offseason saying that it's an open competition, he creates a stir of, oh, is Jared Goff going to lose his job? He didn't, I don't think he really meant to do that. He was just kind of trying to be a, a motivator and saying, you know, yeah, we want competition everywhere, you know, but as a first year coach, he didn't think about the fact of how it was going to come off, whereas a veteran coach would. And now I'm looking at this like, is this the same situation where he's talking about the right guard spot? Brown is the starter right now, and you know that could change. But then he backtracked and said, "I didn't mean it that way." So it's like, what well, did he really mean it that way, or is it, you know, kind of that coach talk that he was? It's hard to tell. As far as Jamon Brown goes, who who do you have come in to replace him? Is the question. I think you got to. I think you hit the nail right in the head. Everyone is clamoring for Jamon Brown to lose his job, but who do you have coming in to take over for him? Behind him, you have Cody Wickman, who in his two seasons has looked way, way below average. And then you have the undrafted free agent out of Auburn, Alex Kozan, who hasn't played a meaningful game in the NFL and only a handful of snaps in the preseason. So the options behind them are really limited. So it seems like it's really him or they'll have to bring in someone from, from the outside, maybe like Louis Vasquez from the Broncos. That wouldn't be a bad pick. Yeah, and – and, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, any teams are really going to want to trade defensive lineman at this point either. So, I mean, it's a little bit of slim pickings, too. So, I think if they could find a solution, I think they've got to take it because, you know, Dylan's right. That, the, the, the depth of the offensive line is probably the weakest, I think, aspect of their roster right now. And isn't that absolutely crazy considering the capital that's been spent on the offensive line in recent years? I mean, that's mind-boggling that the offensive line can legitimately be called one of the weakest parts of the team, considering that you brought in seven offensive linemen in one offseason just two years ago. Like, that's crazy to me that we can sit here and say that and it'd be legit. Like, that doesn't that doesn't say a lot about, you know, uh, Les Snead and his team as far as the scouting department goes and who they're looking at to bring in. Like, that's a scary thought to bring in, to use that much draft capital and basically have, you know, one player that to show for it two years later, which is Rob Havenstein. And Jamon Brown is kind of a question mark. You've seen some good, you've seen some bad, but Rob Havenstein has by far been the more consistent player. Yeah, and I know he's an easy target, but I think the draft the drafting Greg Robinson at number two has probably just, I mean, it's been an absolute disaster. And I think it's really kind of held back the team a lot. Because even just these past two seasons, just trying to make it work, and last season, just all those penalties, and you know, not having anybody else that they were thinking about, oh, left tackle because they were thinking, nope, he's our guy. And finally, when they cut bait, was just this sort of like, you know, a little bit of a relief, like, okay, now what is our team going to be like? Because I just feel like that guy was just really holding back their offensive line, especially last year. It just was really hard to watch, and. uh you know, I wish that guy nothing but success playing for the Lions, but um, he just did not fit in with the <laughs> And that's yeah, the thing about yeah, I, the I, offensive I line. Everything about the offensive line is one player messing on their job can 
affect everything, and that was the case with Greg Robinson. With him missing all his blocks, it affected Roger Saffold, then on to Tim Barnes, and then on, so on and so on. It's offensive line is a cohesive unit, and, this, and if one person messes up, it affects everything. So bringing in a stabilizing presence like Andrew Whitworth, I think, will help improve everyone across the offensive line. Stabilizing presence. I like the way you put that, and it is the perfect lead way into the next question. So as far as what the Rams have done to surround golf, first off, let me just start off by saying that, and I'm, I am 29 years old, okay? I have studied this game since I was a kid <laughs> into extreme measures and played it all the way through college and everything starting from the age of six. I've spent a lot of time really investing into this game. I have never in my life seen uh, staff and organization 100% focus on building around a quarterback, a young quarterback, and going out and getting legitimate weapons and legitimate offensive line and a legitimate offensive-minded head coach in the team fail. I've never seen it happen. So, to me, it's, it's good signs for the future. That Now, does that mean that every time it happens this way that the team goes on to win the Super Bowl? No. But the team does reach new heights whenever that is the focus. When you build around your young quarterback, give him weapons in the running game, you give him weapons in the receiver, you give him an offensive line, you give him an offensive-minded head coach who understands as well as the coach is supporting offensive staff, it's always created some type of success for the team. Now, that immediate, not always, but sometimes, and then usually by year two, they're taking off. So with that being said, should expectations for Jared Goff rise with more weapons, you know, should it's always kind of been we expect some improvement. Does that improvement jump up? Does the expectation of that improvement jump up with the additions of a Sammy Watkins and, you know, as you mentioned, the stabilizing force in Andrew Whitworth? Me personally, I think the best part, the best addition to the line is John Sullivan because while we don't know what he is physically anymore after the back injuries and missing the past two years, he's still a former All-Pro who understands protection. And what he's going to do for Jared Goff in making calls pre-snap is going to be it, 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 it's something that you can't even measure of how important it's going to be considering that's one of the things Jared Goff has struggled with the most since college is understanding protections and uh, understanding defense is pre-snap. So what he's going to be able to do just in that regard is going to help golf himself, which ultimately helps the entire offense. But should we expect, should the expectations for golf now rise with the addition of Sammy Watkins and what that trickle-down effect that we keep talking about, how, it's, how it should make so many more people better? I don't really think that the, that the expectations would rise, per se. So, like, if, if someone's projecting – just 20 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, I don't think that that the expectations for that would rise up to 30 touchdowns and interceptions. I think that, that it's more than just like the excuses to not get that number are eliminated. He does not have any more excuses to not get uh, to a respectable touchdown number and a respectable interception number with weapons at wide receiver now and what resembles a somewhat respectable offensive line. Yeah, for sure. I think the team needs the, to really just address the fact that they're still young. And if we raise the expectations too high, it's just we're going to be kidding ourselves. Because I think the culture, what, what you're talking about, just bringing in all of these tools to help, to help out Goff has been the exact thing that they needed. 
But they have to also just develop that, and we need a season or two of this culture to kind of sink into the team. And we'll see, you know, who who we're going to keep. And I think the following season is when I'm expecting my expectations to be to be rising. I'm 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 optimistic right now, but I also know that they that they got to figure out a lot of stuff on the field. And I think, you know, he has everything's new. I mean, all the coaches are new except for Fossil. And I think we just have to understand that now it's like the work begins and that whole organization is going to figure out what they have because there's a lot of questions. You're talking about Sullivan. I mean, we got to see, is he healthy? Can he, can he play or is, is, is he going to be injury ridden? You know, we're going to find out. Now, now, you know, an injury is always that, it's always that wild card, right? Cause it's, it's so unpredictable. Um, even even being unpredictable, you know, you have a player like Sammy Watkins who have struggled with some injuries in the past two years. Uh, that's just a simple case. Look, player, as good as Sammy Watkins can be and as good as he has been, um, great players just don't get dealt for second-round picks and former six-round pick players that, that often. You know, if yeah. he was dealt, it's for a reason. You know, again, yeah. what the Rams are looking at is, you know, what he could be, you know, they, you know, he had, he's had one healthy season, uh, his three years and that was his rookie season that he looked really good. But so they're, so the, the, the bet they're betting on, uh, what he could be, you know, considering he's only 24 years old, six one six two two hundred ten two hundred fifteen pounds with really, really fast speed, <laughs> you know, and can, you know, can really just take the top off defense. And he makes some plays where you're just like, wow, but, is he on that Julio Jones level or is he on that Odell Beckham level? No. You know, has he ever been on that level? No. He's never gotten a chance to be there because he hasn't been on the field. But players of that caliber don't get dealt every day, and they certainly don't get dealt for what he was dealt for. Not saying the Rams didn't give up much. They gave up a second-round pick. Me, personally, I felt like they should have kept EJ uh, – or, excuse me, uh, they should have uh, let the let – the, uh, Bills keep their sixth round pick and give up EJ EJ games in a third round of pick and keep their seconds. So letting them keep their six would have probably been enough to do that, but they didn't. So <laughs> they did. They gave yeah. us the second, which which is that's that's some heavy artillery you just gave the Bills. The Bills are stacked in the first three rounds uh, with picks right now, and I think they have two picks in the first, second, and third. So the Bills are they're happy. Uh, so it's not like they just gave – they didn't give up anything. But if you're going to get a Julio Jones, you're going to get an Antonio Brown or something like that, you're going to get uh, Mike Evans even. You know, Mike Evans is definitely one notch below those guys. You're not going to get Mike Evans in the second round pick in the game. Just that simple. <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't and say I don't that. Think, yeah, I don't think those guys get traded. And, and it's, it's, exactly. That's why they don't get shot. traded. They don't get traded. This is a huge trade. I'm not taking it anything away from it at all. This is a huge trade, but it's not a, um, you know, it's not that guaranteed in stone type trade. And with that, and I say all that because it is a huge risk. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a huge risk, but it's a high reward. You know, high risk, high reward. And if that reward pays off, I think expectations. You know, if you see a healthy. Uh, Sammy Watkins out there, I think expectations for Jared Goff has to rise because, as we have all said, 
defenses are gonna respect this guy. You know, he's not he's not a pushover. You know, uh, it's like I said, he's not on that top tier receiver level, but he's probably in the middle of the pack of that second tier. You know, Mike Evans, Ed Bryant, guys like that is ahead of him, but he's not far behind those guys. If that makes sense. So when you have that ability and he's still young, he can only get better. Um, when you have that there and you, he's healthy, I think expectations for golf, they kind, of, they kind of have to rise because he is he's literally being peppered with everything that you want to pepper your quarterback with. <laughs> you know, you're giving him weapons in every facet. You're giving him at, at all levels. You're giving him a running game. You're, you're fixing his blind side protection. Still needs some work done on the – the right side. I actually think Rob Havenstein is going to be fine this year. He was a bit banged up last year, that which people didn't really realize that after the season, which made him regress a little bit from his rookie season. But it, it was fully healthy. I think he's going to kind of bounce back. Jamal Brown kind of the only one weak spot there on the team, and you know we'll see how that goes. But they've really done so much to improve around Jared, Jared Goff, starting with Sean McVay getting getting an offensive minded uh, head coach in there and bringing in some guys that know what they're doing with a quarterback, how to develop them. And I honestly have to say, just looking at his few throws last night, he looked so much better. He looked so comfortable. The throw that he made to Cooper Cup on that first completion where he does a, a delayed drag across the middle and it's wide open. Jerry Goff has a guy barreling down on him and he doesn't even flinch. <laughs> you know, he doesn't yep. flinch at all. He throws a perfect strike and hits Cooper Cup perfectly in stride for him to pick up 19 yards, you know, on his on Cooper Cup's first reception. So you see that, and you're just like, okay, this is definitely a quarterback that's improved already. But how much more are we going to see that improvement grow throughout the season? I think someone like Sammy Watkins can only help that. So he's going to help. I think I think expectations kind of have to rise. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I think what I really like about this team right now is, is the energy, and I, and I feel like it comes from Sean McVay. And just to see that guy when he's in practice and he's just in the middle of it, he's, he's you know, he's playing defense, he's running around, and I think that's going to be infectious. And I think a lot of these guys have a lot to prove, and they're just brimming with potential. And I feel like, you know, you have a lot of the the uh, the, the fans of the Rams, you know, you know they, they, they talk about how you know, things can be really negative because you're just expecting – it to go back to Fisher ball, but it just really feels like it's a new team. I agree. I definitely think the uh, the energy that he brings, and that's something that they talked about a lot during the hiring process. You know, uh, Kevin Demoff, Leslie Marshall Falk was really big on this when he said that he had his dinner with uh, with Sean McVay prior to him being hired. He couldn't stop talking about the energy that he had. He's just like he made, he just had so much energy that he loves talking about football. Like and you hear Jackie Slater talk about it when we had when they had the the legends coming to town and Jackie Slater couldn't stop talking about the energy and how much he loves football. I think that Sean McVay is someone who is obsessed with the game. You know, so uh, yeah. and being obsessed I think that kind of creates that different sort of environment around the team. Um so let's get to this let's get more into this game. You know, we talked about um, Cooper Cup's first reception. Like, how do you guys think Cooper Cup looked out there? Like, what 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 are we what are we thinking about the young pups on the team and how they performed in their first game? I think that I think that Cooper Cup looked as good as one could have expected. He had the he had the good play on the play action for 19 yards, 
he wasn't really covered, but he did a good job of, of uh, delaying his route so he was able to get out there and get open, had good hands on that play. He had another, I think it was two catches where he, he showed a little bit of good wiggle, got some yards. He, had, he did have the one drop, which I think was just a little bit of jitters from having, you know, being his first game in the NFL. And then with Gerald Everett, he had two catches. His first catch, he showed some great, uh, like, yards after the catch ability like he did in college. The other one didn't really go for much. He wasn't really given the opportunity to make a play for that one. And then he had a third catch that not many people remember. They got called back because of a penalty on Pace Murphy where he was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful quick out, and he gained about 12 yards on it, but that got called back. John Johnson. Uh, Pace Murphy. <laughs> oh, we got a lot of talk about with Pace Murphy. <laughs> Keep going, Dylan. Sorry, I just had to get that out. Oh, no, you're fine. Samson Ebukam didn't play, and then Juan Price really, really showed out to me. He, he, he really proved that he was worthy of a draft pick in that game. He was in the backfield nearly every play, came close on two or three sacks. So I was really, really impressed by how the rookies played. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about Price. I really like that guy. I think he has a lot of speed, and I think I've just been. I, I think you know, as much as I was worried about that injury to Dominic Easley. I think maybe uh, we can rely on on Price more than than I thought we could. He just looked really good, and I know I know he's not a high draft pick, and he's a rookie. But just from that one game, I I felt like he just really looked like he was just all over the ball, and I thought that was really yeah. good to see. And you know, with 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 you know Gerald Gerald Everett and Cooper Cup, I was impressed that they have that ability to get yards after the catch, and I think they both kind of showed that, and I think that's kind of what we're going to be looking at throughout the season is, is those guys just, you know, they just really have talent, uh, you know, once they get the ball and just trying to just, you know, keep moving forward. And I, and I, I think that's going to be really fun to watch these guys develop over the season. And uh, for not having a first-round draft pick, I still think we have a lot to get excited about with these rookies. No, I, you know what? I 100% agree with you guys and just your overall breakdown of what we saw. First off, I loved Juan Price coming out. I loved, <laughs> I loved him. I loved him even more when the Rams drafted him. I think Juan Price is going to be a very good player in this league. So um, seeing him get out there and just constant pressure on the quarterback was uh, enjoyable. But most of all, just that entire defensive front, all game, it didn't really matter what unit was in there. They were really putting some pressure on the quarterback. Like, it didn't result in a bunch of sacks, but it, it, it made me smile because I thought about, you know, I, I kind of started looking at the big picture, and I said, these guys are, you know, it, again, it didn't matter if they were playing against the first unit. I watched them do some really good stuff against the Cowboys offensive line, the first unit offensive line, which is, you know, as everyone knows, the best unit in the NFL. They look really good against them. And I started thinking to myself, well, if, they, if this – uh, these young guys, you know, of all the guys that played uh, against the starting unit for the Cowboys, Michael Brockers was the only guaranteed projected starter um, for the for the front, and they were putting that much pressure. I started thinking to myself, well, how are these guys going to look when you have Robert Quinn and Aaron Donald out there who's going to draw attention? If we could very well see just just a runaway, <laughs> you know, guys, guys may be shooting gaps a lot. Um, we, once you get some guys out there who's going to draw even more attention away from them, uh, I, it was it was really it was really impressive to see how well they played without their two best players. But um, 
sticking with the young guys, um, I was I was very impressed with Cooper Cup and just his run out run after catch. I thought he did a really good job on the play where there's a penalty. You see, uh, it was on the Justin Davis where he he gets a holding call and they get pushed back. And the very next play, you see Cooper Cup just come up. He catches the ball about nine yards shy of the first down. He makes a guy miss. He makes another guy miss. Tiptoe the sideline to get the first down. He goes out without taking it. It was very impressive. It was it was a super small detail to the game, but it was uh, it was impressive for him to have the awareness. And it was I think that goes back to the talk of the football IQ of Cooper Cup. And for me personally, um, I always like when you have yourself a a young receiver that's older. Uh, Cooper Cup being twenty four. The reason being is because they they're they're a little more. I guess scrappy would be the word. You know, they're, they're, they they like to do stuff like what he did where they fight for that first down, but he's older, so he, he of course, has a higher football IQ because he's kind of entering his prime right now, being 24 years old. You know, so you have kind of the best of both worlds, which is why which is why I, I really thought that he uh, he did a good job. As far as Gerald Everett, uh, he I think, Dylan, you hit it right on the head. He looked really good after the catch, which is something that, he was praised for coming out. You know, um, when I was studying him, uh, when I was doing some scouting reports on him, I thought that was his best attribute is his what he does after he catches the ball. Once he has the ball in his hands, that's when he's the most dangerous. I do. You could tell that he's, uh, you know, he's he wasn't quite as uh, comfortable in the offense as Cooper Cup was. Cooper Cup looked really comfortable out there. Uh, you could tell. You could tell he probably wasn't. Um, with just the way he was running some of the routes, some of the routes was coming off. I saw he played a lot last night, and I saw quite a few snaps where he was kind of slow to get off the ball, which is usually an indication that he's thinking about what he has to do too much. You know, so when the ball is snapped, he's so far in his thoughts, he doesn't realize the ball is snapped to a second after everyone else. So you can see those little things, but, again, when the ball is in his hands, you can see how he – why the Jordan Reed comparisons are made is Jordan Reed is one of the best make-you-miss tight ends after the catch in the NFL. So – it's, it's going to be interesting to watch how he develops as the uh, year goes on. The player that I didn't, you know, really hear from, Tesla Smart was another one who really, really did well. The player I didn't hear from that I wanted to hear from was Simpson and Welcome. What in the world? Where is this kid at? <laughs> you know, I was, I, I'm, I'm waiting for this. Like, I, I, need an expla- I need an explanation on why he was picked when he was picked still. <laughs> I'm not going to let that go until I see – Something out there to say, okay, that's why. Like, what, what, who was it that you wanted to see more of that you didn't get the opportunity to see? Well, I, I would actually say that I wanted to see more. I mean, we're talking about rookies. I would, I would say I wanted to see more of Gerald Everett, but I would say just overall, I, I wanted to see more of Tyler Higby because I know that he's a player we talk about all the time, and yeah. and I just kind of felt like. There wasn't too many moments where his number got called up, and I want to I want to see I want to see a game where there's just a lot of plays that he's involved because in, I want to see what we have with this guy. There's a lot of hype. I mean, it's, it's Cooper Cup Cooper Cup level hype with Higby, and I'm not saying anything. You know, I'm, I'm not saying you know that he's that he's not going to fulfill this this potential. I just I just want to no, say what you want. Spit it out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you don't I, like I, him. I know, no, know, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think he's a little bit overrated right now, but I would love to take him back. You know, I, I want him to prove me wrong. You know, I want him to 
to, <laughs> to kick ass and be an awesome tight end. So, so let's, let's hope for the best with this guy. Someone I wanted to see more from was, was Jared Goff. This is his first year in this brand-new offense after struggling and never really getting comfortable in the offense last year. I would have loved to see him more – I would just love to see him attempt more than four passes and be out there for more than eight plays. I think that having having basically just throwing out a preseason game, only playing eight snaps, really is going to hurt him come week one. He's not. He'll play some against the Raiders and then probably quite a bit against the Chargers, but then probably not at all week four against the Packers. This really, really hurt him, I think, not playing more than eight snaps. Well, you know, it could be another guy I wanted to see a lot from, and I got it, which was Jamon Brown. And I think maybe that's a little bit connected to the reason why we didn't see golf play that much. Is I think they and these guys are figuring out what they have in this offensive line, and they're like, you know what? Let's throw Mannion to the wolves and let him, you know, you know, get the experience of what's it like to play behind these guys, and let's project our number one draft pick for for one more you know game. Mannion to be thrown to the wolves. He played really, really good football. And that throw he made to Tamara Camingway, oh, my goodness. That thing was on a rope. <laughs> and he hit him square in the chest, 20 yards downfield. It was beautiful. I was upset that he didn't hold on to it. It was an absolutely gorgeous throw. Like, that's the type of stuff you want to see a quarterback do in the NFL. Like, it was perfect. So, I, I have to say, he was definitely thrown to the wolves. <laughs> but uh, especially with Pace Murphy. You know, Joe, we miss you, Joe. Your question is always, who is backing up Andrew Whitworth? And I said, I think it's Pace Murphy. I hate that I was right <laughs> because Pace Murphy yeah. was absolutely terrible. <laughs> he was the worst guy I've ever been for. <laughs> it was kind of the equivalent of just starting a bag of trash because, I mean, it really, they just were killing At, at one guy. point, I was, literally said, I missed. Greg Robbins. <laughs> I literally said that. He was that bad. It was atrocious. <laughs> I have never yeah, seen I, any I, performance as bad as I saw from Pace Murphy. He had he gave up two sacks and a penalty. You could say it was if, if Mannion hadn't gotten rid of the ball, he could have been charged with another four or five sacks. That was easily one of the worst performances in the preseason I've ever seen. And the thing that yeah, we I have to realize is he didn't even play a whole game. Imagine if this was the guy who started from snap one to the end of the snap. What would his stat sheet have looked like? How many sacks would he have given up? How many press? Like, he played, and then they moved him from the left side to the right side, and it didn't get any better. <laughs> I was just like, No, wow. it didn't. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see these guys play next week and the week after that because, you know, I mean, it was a sloppy game, and, you know, we haven't oh, really yeah. touched on all those fumbles. But, but I oh, think the reason why is it's, it's because – they, it's the first time that they're, you know, really hitting these guys. When Brown got lit up, I think a little bit is like, well, you know what? Like, there's a huge difference between a game and practice. And there's a big difference between preseason and regular season. But at least we saw that first big step up where they're like, okay, we have a problem. We have a really shaky situation with our backup left tackle. And we have a big situation with however you put Jamon Brown. So, Let's you know. Let's see what happens with Oakland, and maybe maybe they'll have to make a pickup like Dylan was talking about. But I think they're gonna at least see one or two more looks with Jamon Brown. That's what I think. All I can say is I've never been more excited for a guy like Andrew Donald to come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yep. I mean, he he is missed terribly, and it, it's it's crazy when you're talking about your. But it just goes to show how important depth is. You know, it's crazy when you're talking about yep. your, you know, your backup kind of do it all guy. You, you can put him at guard, you can put him at tackle, you can put him all over the place. And you know, you're not talking about your starter, but man, it's scary to think that if something happens to uh, one of your tackles and Pace Murphy has to go in there. And you're going up, you know, you're, you're sending him in there against one of the better pass rushes in the NFL. It's scary to think what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I really, I really don't even want to imagine playing the Broncos, right? Where the pass rush is suspicious, <laughs> and you throw out Pace Murphy, which we're going to get the opportunity to see next week against a very good pass rusher, <laughs> a very good pass rushing team and the, uh, the, the, the um, Raiders, you know, but you throw him out there and I feel bad for Sean Means. We know it's not going to be Jared Goff. <laughs> we know Goff isn't playing behind Pace Murphy if he doesn't have to. So I feel bad for Sean Means. He's going to have a long night in store for him. But sticking with the, sticking with the theme of depth, um, let's talk about these fumbles for a second. <laughs> now, Marshall Falk, he, you know, he made a very good point, and I 100% agree with it. I've said it, you know, for a couple of years now that when you don't allow too much contact throughout the offseason, guys aren't used to getting hit, and then you put them out there, and you put them out there against these guys who are fighting for a job, or they're just shooting their bodies at you like missiles, it's going to be hard to hold on to the ball because you haven't done it in a while. So that I agree with to some point. But this wasn't just that. Justin Davis looked absolutely amazing running the ball. And when he was in the open field, he was the best player running the ball all night for both teams. You know, the problem was the way he was carrying that ball, it was – he did – both times he fumbled, it wasn't even the player that came at him that made him fumble. He just dropped the ball both times. I've never seen that happen in my life. Like, I've seen a player drop the ball, but two consecutive times or two times in the same drive, I've never seen that. (laughs) Where you just drop the ball without actual contact. That is a first for me. I've never seen it. Justin Davis, you have definitely made history for me. (laughs) But, you know, I'm glad you brought up the whole point that Marshall Falk made because I'm kind of holding on to that a little bit, mainly because, I mean, that guy, his first cut – coming out from the backfield was just like jaw-dropping, where I'm like, whoa, this guy's going to be great. And then he fumbled the ball. And then I was like, this guy's going to be great. And then he fumbled the ball again. So (laughs) (laughs) you definitely have to um, see how this kind of turns out. But, um, but I mean, the the guy, when he got in the open field, I mean, you're right. Like, it was impressive. And he would be an amazing third third down back, you know, behind Gurley. Or even if Gurley had to sit out a spell, I mean – this guy has yeah. a lot of speed and, and just a lot of good instincts, but with that, just that, that major factor needs to be addressed. So that ball's major, major factor. <laughs> Justin so, Davis let me really ask. did. Go ahead. Justin Davis really did screw the pooch. He he had a huge <laughs> opportunity to maybe climb up the ladder on the death row a little bit with Malcolm Brown fumbling his own two times, Lance Dunbar and Aaron Green out. He did show flashes, but flashes, but. No coach wants a player that can't hang on to the ball. He had a chance to jump up, and those two fumbles really, really hurt him. Absolutely. And 
I guess my question would be with Malcolm Brown fumbling himself, did he really lose any ground there? I don't think he did. And I think those seven yards and those open field runs, I thought, you know, was a little bit of an apology to, to the uh, to the fumbles. Not, not by much, but I but I would put him right now uh, on the same on the same level as Malcolm Brown. I think I think they're they're still in the middle of a, of a really good competitive battle for that uh, backup running back position. Absolutely. So let's let's, let's get here to this uh, whose stock went up and whose stock dropped. Dylan, give me two players, and Joey, you can't give the same two players on your turn. Two players whose stock rose. Dylan, go. Two players for me were Corey Littleton and Matt Longacre. Corey Littleton, when he was in, he was all over the field. He was in on every, on nearly every single play, and in coverage, he was as good as any linebacker can be in coverage. And then Matt Longacre coming off whether it was defensive end or outside linebacker, he was in the backfield, much like Juan Price, every single play, and he really, really made some noise. I think both players, for me, really did secure a roster spot. Who you got there yeah. for us, uh, Joey? Well, um, I would say Kayvon Webster, to me, I thought, just really made me feel good about the other side with, with uh, Tremaine Johnson. I just I felt like he was over the receivers, and I, I just felt like he just played confidently, like he belonged there, like he was a starter. You could tell when he was playing in Denver that he, had, you know, he just had a chip on his shoulder, like he that he he belonged to be a starter. I think he's really proving that. And I just thought, like, I felt a lot better about the EJ, EJ Gaines trade by watching Kayvon play. And I was like, okay, this guy, this guy's legit. I'm really happy with with that with that free agent signing. And you know, we've already talked about him, but uh, on the defensive line. Uh, Price, and I am going to need a little bit. I'm terrible at pronouncing some names, but what, what's a slow pronunciation of his first name so I don't sound like a jackass when I try to say it? Okay, everyone has said it so differently. <laughs> um, I've always thought since Pitt, the, the, I've been a fan of his for a while, I've always thought it was just Juan and the E is silent. But then I hear Juan, Ewan, Awan. Yeah, I think it's just Juan. I've always thought right. it's be super it fast and no one can hear you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to call him Price for a while until I get confident enough to um, <laughs> to, to really go for broke on this. Uh... But yeah, I, I think uh, I think his stock went up, and I and I could see him getting a lot of playing time. And you know, again, there's three more preseason games, but I mean, I would put him. I, I would lock him in as a starter right now. He looked damn good. That's for sure. Look damn good. Um, so who would you say stock dropped two players, Joey? Well, this is a little unfair, but um, I thought Robert Woods, to me, his stock just dropped a little bit. I, I just kind of felt like I know it was a very limited sample size, but um, I just thought that, you know, with, with the fumble, and then I know it was not a great pass that he got for the first incomplete pass with Goff, but, um, you know, he was just billed as being this sort of like, sure-handed, fundamental, kind of, you know, running the routes like the way they need to be run. And uh, and it just feels like now like Cooper Cup's doing all of that. So I, I want I want, uh, I want Robert Woods to kind of uh, show up a little bit more. And, and I'm sure he will, but I just felt like in this game, I was a little bit disappointed with what we saw of him. And, um, and then obviously, uh, you know, I got to go with Jamon Brown. 
I think you took when you say Jamal Brown, you took everybody's stock down. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay, Dylan, if you want to say him too. It's understandable. He he underperformed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's called low hanging fruit, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who you got, Dylan? Well, not not the kick in while he's down, but I still got to go with Pace Murphy. He had a shot to possibly lock up a roster spot for the second straight year via backup swing tackle on both ends, but he really, really. So, Dylan, you were talking about stock going down, and you mentioned uh, our uh, favorite backup left tackle. Oh, yeah. You still uh, there? Pace Murphy. Yeah, Pace Murphy, not to kick him while he's down. That was one of the worst I've ever seen, like I said before. And the second guy for me whose stock went down was Malcolm Brown. Earlier in the week, Sean McVay said that Brown had solidified himself as the number two running back. And with with the two fumbles, he really – I think he made Sean McVay have to possibly rethink it. You know, I, I definitely I definitely would uh, agree with that. Think about it with – when I'm looking at the stock up, stock down. First off, stock up, I have to say that Mike Jordan definitely sent his stock to the roof. He played excellent coverage. Um, he looked good in run support. He didn't have any tackles for the back, but he looked good just kind of breaking on the runners. He did miss the one tackle uh, where he read, the, he read the screen. It's hard to knock a guy when he does everything right. <laughs> you know, he missed the yeah. tackle where yeah. he read the screen, broke on it perfectly. He tried to, you know, the, the lineman was barreling down on him. He tried to die for the, the guy's legs before the lineman could get told him he just barely missed. You know, so uh, it, it's hard to knock a guy when he did everything right, but he did ultimately miss the tackle. Um, but so Mike Jordan, I definitely have to say his stock went up. I thought Cooper Cup did a great job to the point that his stock goes up. Um, I, I have to agree with you, Joey, that Robert Woods was really underwhelming. You know, you saw – you hear all offseason about how him and uh, Jerry Goff have worked so hard to be on the same page and they got their timing down and all this stuff and, the first throw of the game just hits the dirt because he doesn't break it out wide enough into the opening gap. Honestly, Jared Goff was correct on that throw. He took blame for it, but Jared Goff threw it to where it was supposed to be. There was They were playing zone coverage. He threw it into the opening, and Robert Woods just set it down too soon and didn't get his head around. Um, it's just that simple. Um, so I would definitely say Robert, Robert Woods' uh, stock was down a bit to me. Um, you, you know, you're, you're – kind of been put into this role where you're expected to be the quote-unquote Pierre Garçon of this offense, I need to see more. You know, and that fumble, like, Cooper Cup saved you. <laughs> you know, that fumble yeah. was, not a, was not a good look. You know, you got to at the very least hold on to the ball if you're not going to get in the end zone. But the throw was perfect. He put it right on the money. Like, he, he gave you time to protect yourself. You just you just let it go. And that just, that just can't fly. Like, I, I would definitely say stock down was Robert Woods and um, it doesn't really help the fact that um, Sammy comes into town to, you know, basically steal the show. We saw how Robert Woods performed statistically with Sammy Rock Watkins ahead of him once before. I don't want to see that with this team. <laughs> you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't the most dominant number two receiver behind Sammy Watkins, you know. So you really need to show more, in my opinion. Um, so I would definitely say his stock was down. And then outside of that, uh, outside of outside of that, I would say Tamaric Hemingway, somebody who I'm a very big fan of, somebody I've pounded the table for a million times. Um, that drop, I just can't get it out of my head. It's like 
you got to hold on to that. <laughs> and yeah. the issue the issue is when he caught it, you know, going over the middle, you got to protect that ball. And he ran the post. The throw was flawless, but he didn't get the ball tucked away after he caught it. And the defender put his helmet right – Xavier Woods, you know, he put his helmet right on the ball and popped that sucker loose. You know, you got you just got to get that ball covered up. But I would definitely say that those two – I will say, though, Samaria Hemingway did have a nice play later on in the game where he caught it on a drag route and turned it upfield to make a guy miss to get the first down. It was really nice catch and run. But um, – yeah, that I can't get that drop out of my head. That was it's too perfect, <laughs> you know. Especially when the offense was backed up like that, you got the opportunity to get them out and give them room. You know, you got to got to make that play. Um, it re- so it reminds me of the play. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. It reminded me. It reminded me of the play at the first game of last year against the Cowboys when Goff threw that bomb right in Farrell Cooper's hands and he dropped it. And yeah, exactly. it kind of made me a little bit like, like, man, come on. You're like a rookie here. You have a really chance to, you know, like a 60 yard play and it just bounces off his hands. And that, and, that it reminded you know, me when I saw. That's actually a good comparison, but I would say this one was even more depressing because this throw was even better because, you know, that's first off that throw should have, the pass should have been caught by a Farrell Cooper last year, you know, but, I would, but you could make the argument, oh, it was, you know, it was a little high, it was a little behind him, but he had to jump and reach behind him. Still should have been caught because it was there, you know. But then you look at the, the drop last night, he hit him in stride. <laughs> Receivers beg right. for that throw regularly. <laughs> he hit him in stride. Like, that's the perfect opportunity, and he just he squandered it. And that was so disappointing. So, I, But, no, I agree with you. That's a great comparison, actually. Like, it was one of those, like, you see it happening, and you're like, oh, and it's like, oh, yep, <laughs> that wave of emotion. <laughs> so, no, that's exactly. <laughs> so let's knock out some of these listener questions here. We have some good ones from uh, some buddies over on Facebook. We're going to start off with one of our very own staffers. Sosa decided to go ahead and drop drop some little uh, knowledge on us, or not knowledge, but a question to give us some knowledge. <laughs> How long do you guys think it takes? if at all, for Gerald Everett to hop Tyler Higby on the depth chart. Um, what's his role going to be, and how will the Rams try to deploy both weapons? Who wants to stab at that one? You know, I'll start. Well, uh, I, I, oh, you can go. I think that, uh, it, you know, I'm guessing that it's going to take near the end of the season because I think they're going to give a lot of uh, – they got a leeway. I think they're going to give a lot of opportunities for for uh, for Higby. So I think they're going. It, it feels like they're going to just bring Gerald Everett along slowly. Hopefully, you know he can he can block. That was that was the thing with him coming out of the draft. He seemed more of like a pass a pass catching tight end rather than a blocking tight end. So if if he can if he can just develop into just a multifaceted uh, tight end and just really have all the tools. I think it, it might take a season, but I think to really have a nice set of at the at the end of the season, these guys going to the off season of having Higby and Gerald Everett as being just a really strong one two punch with that. I would actually love to see Everett take over for Higby sooner. Both both last team were I'm just gonna say awful as blockers. Uh Everett has shown more as a pass catcher than Higby has the past season in last game, but and then with the new regime, not having anything invested in Tyler Higby, having not drafted him and hand-picking Gerald Everett with their first pick, I think they'd be more inclined to give 
Gerald Everett the nod over Tyler Higby. Like it'd be it'd be incredible if both of them could get going and have a great one-two punch like Washington with Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. But I think that we could see Gerald Everett ahead of Tyler Higby a lot sooner than we could think, possibly within the first four weeks of the season. You know, I I, I don't think that we ever will. Um, here's why. I think that we're going to see both tight ends on the field a lot, okay? And part of the issue is Tyler Higby is so far ahead of Gerald Everett um, just as far as understanding what to do with everything. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier, you know, you can see last night the hesitation to fire off the ball because he's so stuck in what he has to do, you know, thinking and everything. And it, it just seems like it will be hard for him to pass Tyler Higby as a rookie when he's so far ahead of him. And praise that's come out of the camp for Higby has been in from everyone, from media, from coaches, from players. The praise he's been having a really, really good camp, you know. So, and not the camp, offseason in general, uh, dating back to the screen. I think it'd be very hard for uh, Gerald Everett to pass him, especially when you add in the fact that the hardest part for a tight end that's clicked out wide so much in college, the hardest uh, part for him to adapt to coming into the NFL is blocking. And that was something that uh, Tyler Higby uh, struggled with early on last year, but got better as the year went on. And I think that's where you're going to see the, the separation is understanding the routes and then the blocking part. Uh, Tyler Higby just has such a huge lead on him. Um, but as far as the role goes, I don't think that it, that means that um, we're not going to see a lot of Gerald Everett. I think we're going to see a whole lot of Gerald Everett all season long. We're going to see a whole lot of Tyler Higby. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Gerald Everett lost 300 snaps, you know, so – it, 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 I think it's going to be uh, an offense where even though he's not, quote-unquote, the starter or the top guy, he's still going to play a lot of snaps. Uh, next question from Michael Anthony. In regards to Donald, in my opinion, with two years left on the contract, Ogletree's contract is up at the end of the season. Do you think Donald is making sure he gets paid before Ogletree? I mean, it's undercutting Ogletree, plus Donald knows the money is, uh, that the money is not there this year. Wouldn't it be smarter to hold out next year than this year? And I can care less if he comes back. Our D will be just fine. <laughs> I think he's talking about Ogletree when he says that. <laughs> right. he, there he there can't be any possible way from that. What would you say? I, can't, I, I don't think there's any possible way he was talking about Donald there. No, no, I don't think he was right. <laughs> so do uh do either of you think that it will make sense for Aaron Donald to just wait till next year? I mean, I don't really think I think Donald just wants the respect he's getting. I think he's been arguably the best defensive player in the league since since he came in. We know he's a team player. He was a he was voted a captain last year. We know he's all about the team. I think that he just really wants his due. I think it's possible that we like we're not in a, we're not on the inside. We don't know. Ogletree's camp could have approached the Rams office about an extension and then Rams Rams for office could have said, We wanna see how you fit in this three four defense before we talk about anything. We don't want to get locked in like we have like we are with Tavon or we're locked in with Nick Foles. I think we just want to see how you perform. But with Aaron Donald, it's a given. I think Donald just wants his given and Ogletree is just gonna have to wait till next year. It seems to me with Donald that it, it could all it, it could be all about him getting just a really rich signing bonus, and yeah. you know I mean because the 
they're pretty tight right now with, with, with the salary cap. And I think he, he just wants to just not be disrespected. And I feel like he kind of is a little bit right now. And, you know, I think it would be kind of embarrassing for the organization and even Donald if he reports back to camp without a contract. Because he's just – he's a top player. And I feel like if we just are like, nope, sorry, can't do it, I think it's going to just be a bad look. And I'm worried that it's going to make him be like, cool, all right, well, then I'm going to sign with, you know, sign with the Eagles next year or whatever. And I just kind of uh, – it just – it's not a it's, – uh, it's not a comfortable feeling to think about. So I uh, really hope they can get it together and, you know, give them something. Give them – because like, they can give them as much as they – they can give them a, a rich signing bonus on yeah. on, on whatever country they can offer. Have. Yeah, so just do it, you know, <laughs> make it happen. No, I, and I, I agree, and it's something I've said, you know, I feel like every week now is if they wanted to get this deal done, they could do it. Um, you know, you, for example, you look at the deal that Russell Wilson got from the Seahawks uh, last year, and it's funny because the Seahawks had so many players to sign over the past two years, and the reason they were able to get Russell Wilson done is because of the signing bonus. They just gave him a fat signing bonus. Like, it does not count against the cap, people. <laughs> if they want to yep. get this deal done, they can get it done. But the thing about it is only the best of the best get rewarded with fat signing bonuses like that to where you can make them happy, but you don't have to kill your cap. You know, usually it's the other way around. You, you have a lesser signing bonus, and they have to earn that money throughout. Um they don't have to do this, but they are playing hardball, and it doesn't make – like, I understand it with some teams, and Joe made a great point to this a few weeks ago, is why would anyone defend the Rams from playing hardball with one of the best players to ever step on the field, <laughs> you know, and taking the risk of losing him? You don't have that luxury. You have to keep what you get – all that you have, especially when you hit the jackpot like this. Like, no, you have to keep him around. So – it doesn't make a lot of sense. I definitely think that he needs to get paid, and I don't think he should wait till last year because injuries do happen, and you never know. The injury happens to Aaron Donald. That will be if they're playing this hard, and he's already proved what he's proven. If he gets goes out there and gets hurt, what do you think they're going to do next year? <laughs> you know, so I definitely think he should just go ahead and get paid now while he can. Um, next question: um, Do you agree that Mayan's huge playing time is because of showing him for a trade? Uh, I will. That's I would say no. <laughs> because, you know, um, first off, you're not going to have Jerry Goff out there the entire time. And then you just signed Dan Orlovsky, so he doesn't really know the plays well enough. So you didn't have much of a choice but to kind of play him quite a bit. So we'll just go to the next question on there because this one looks good. Is Jamon Brown really the best we can do with right guard? <laughs> now, there's a question for you. <laughs> Is Jamon Brown the best we can do at right guard? Is his play going to get better? Because that Cowboys D-line blew right past him yesterday and had me like, here we go again. Probably, I think, yeah. <laughs> right now, since he's only healthy, is Andrew Donald's not healthy, Cody Wickman is worse than Donald. I mean, then Jamon Brown. I really do think that, that Jamon Brown really is the best option we have at right guard right now. And that is that's a little disheartening to say that he's the best that we have. He, but he had, you know, uh, to be fair to him a little bit, he had a bad first game. This is the first time that he really has been given this much of a responsibility of being this kind of starting guy. And, you know, he, he definitely 
didn't make a good first impression, but um, I want to give him a little bit of, of the of the benefit of the doubt that I think, yeah, right now currently is the best we can do, and that's what they pay, you know, the, the offensive lines coach Cromer to 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 do is to coach this team, and it might be too big of a task, and it might not work out. That's probably what's going to happen, but I think uh, I'm I'm holding out a little bit of faith that Brown's going to at least be a capable starter. A little bit of faith, not a lot. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get we're gonna knock out these last couple of questions here. The next one is from our very own Rob Forehand. He asked Gent, he talked about the depth chart um of the secondary now that EJ Gones is in Buffalo. If an injury were to go down, we touched on this a little bit already, if an injury were to go down, do you see them going to Troy Hill or Mike Jordan or would the Kobe or excuse me, um, uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, Coleman or Lamarcus Joyner play outside cornerback and then let John Johnson fill in their spot. Now that is an interesting piece because John Johnson has been thrown into the mix. What do you guys think? That's a really, really interesting question. I think that he would be more inclined to move uh, Lamarcus Joyner back to corner just because he played so so well there the past two years instead of. Instead of rolling with someone who really struggled last year in Troy Hill or, or really an unknown in Mike Jordan, I think he'd rather roll with his third-round pick at safety and then move someone who is one of the best slot corners back to cornerback. I agree. Yeah, I, I like I like Nickel Roby Coleman, and I think uh, I think just getting him in as many packages as possible, I think um, I, I'm all for. From what I've seen of him, I, I think he uh, – I think he's a legit player that can be a major contributor uh, to, to their defense. But um, you know, I mean, right now let's let's give let's give Mike Jordan a chance. You know, I think. Uh, no, I agree. I definitely, I, I definitely think. Go ahead. I'm I'm good. Okay. I was going to say no. I agree. I definitely think one of the um, things that's kind of flown under the radar after the EJ Gaines trade is that Lamarcus Joyner can play corner. <laughs> You know, um, he can always move back down if need be. And he really, really took a huge step forward last year just as his overall play at corner. And then the, I think the, the thing is, I don't think John Johnson is the guy who would slide in to fill in for him. I think it would be Cody Davis. <laughs> uh, I think Cody Davis will be the guy to slide in. John Johnson really hasn't uh, been available this offseason through injuries and he's kind of buried on the depth chart behind a lot of people. I think he's like fifth right now as far as safeties go. Like he's pretty far down the total pole. Um I think it would be probably be Cody Davis that would actually step in if you if Marcus joined it back down to the corner position. Um but I, w- I definitely agree with Joey. I think that you should let one of the young pups step up. I would be perfectly fine with seeing how Mike does in the uh you know playing against the top units like he did last year. Like last year one thing that I've really noticed was his confidence was continuously rising with each game. And by the last game of the year, he was playing like really confident. And I think that confidence has carried over into this preseason and this, uh, this upcoming year. So I would definitely go with the young pups, let them get their shot, but I have no problem with moving the Marcus Joyner down and then letting Cody Davis fill in for him from there. All right. So last question here, Bruce make the final cut. We have a spruce head. They're always out lurking. <laughs> Will Spruce make the final cut? What do you say? No. No. Just, just plain and simple no. 
It was so emphatic. Like, you just killed the guy's dreams. I mean, this is from Nicholas Joseph. Nick, I'm sorry. Spruce is not making the final cut. He's got a great manager because his manager has clearly told him, become best friends with Ty Gurley so he can put in a good word for you. But I don't think it's going to be enough. (laughs) You know, uh, I I do think there will be seven receivers that makes the team. I don't think Spruce is going to be one of them. I thought Spruce had a pretty good outside chance before Watkins got there. But now that Watkins is there, I think that we're probably, you know, going to see Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, Tavon Austin, Mike Thomas, Farrell Cooper. Uh, those guys are all going to lock in. But then Dark Horse, I have as the seventh receiver. You guys ready for this? We all ready? Everybody ready out there? You ready? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I think I'm ready. Yeah. My Dark Horse is Paul McRoberts. He's somebody that yeah. I think – I think that uh, oh, I like they keep mentioning, but yep. randomly. It's so random when his name comes up. But more so, he was part of that first unit to come in after the starters came out, which means he found his way up the depth chart, and he looks really good. He looked good last year in the limited time he had in the game. He looked really good blocking for the running backs out on the edge, and he did it again last night. Looked really good on two of Justin Davis's runs, he was out there getting in some DB's ass. So I definitely think that there's a good chance that he could be a dark horse to make this team. I'm actually giving McRoberts even a better chance to make the team over Spruce. I have Spruce as one of the least likely to make the team. Agreed. He, he's been I was kind of hope, hoping, hoping that Josh Reynolds would uh, will make the cut. So we'll see hard, you know what? The old saying goes, it's hard to make the club when you're in the tub. If you're constantly in the yep. training room, you need to the ice baths. Like I said, he's a he's he's a fourth round pick. He's not a he's not a first round pick, you know. And I've mentioned it before. Uh, I got I caught a lot of slack for my roster preview for Cooper Cup because I gave him a nine out of ten for making the roster. Here's my theory on nine out of ten. All right, um, the only way you're a ten out of ten is if you have a major contract where you have money that's guaranteed, sort of like Tavon Austin or something like that, you're a first-round draft pick, okay, or you are somebody with history that's proven yourself, like um, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, for example. You know, you have that history. You've proven yourself. No matter who they bring in, you know your spot is safe. That That is not Cooper Cup on any level. He, he hasn't proven himself. He doesn't have a guaranteed contract, and he's not a first-round pick. If you're none of those, in my opinion, you cannot be called a 10 out of 10 to make the roster because, simply put, it's not a guarantee. I've seen third-round picks get cut before, and in this particular case, Josh Reynolds, you're a fourth-round pick. You're not practicing. You could very well slide on down to the practice squad if they could sneak you on there. If they feel that, if I feel that if they feel that they could sneak him on there, he's going to the practice squad. Oh, definitely. All right, so that is all of our questions. Look, this was a great show. I thoroughly, 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 thoroughly appreciate you guys coming on. Joe, we miss you. know you had to take care of the kids. Do your thing. Uh, you guys want to give yourselves a quick shout-out, Twitter handles and everything? Uh, yeah, mine is uh, at uh, L.A. Rams, Rams, Rams. Pretty simple. Three Rams. Uh Make sure you follow me on Instagram at the Rams Report and then on Twitter at the Rams Report IG. Nice. 
Well, that, that's well, thanks, <laughs> that, 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 that would have lost me. <laughs> that would have lost me real good. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, it's me, Mighty. You can follow me at Mighty or Mighty on Twitter. Uh, Joe, you're not here, so you don't get a shout out. No, I'm kidding. It's 3K underscore for Joe. Uh, also, make sure you follow the site, Turf Show Times. Um, they had a great show. Definitely looking forward to next week because we're going to be bringing on some guests. Um, you guys got anything coming up this week for the uh, site? Anything you're working on? Probably just, uh, you know, more reasons why uh, we should be confident with golf. You know, basically <laughs> what, what I'm interested in. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a golf hype man. Uh, I have a little idea I'm tinkering with about the similarities of the Titans and the Rams and the positions where they were in, but how the Titans have done it so much better. That's nice. All right, well, that's it for us this week, folks. Again, we're looking forward to next week. We're going to have some great times with some guest listeners. Good bit a good week. All right, we out of here. Is off. The Rams get down so nobody scores. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to laughing. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zeta, nobody dresses sweeter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on their back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Ram it. What they told me and I like the block I'm quick off the line as I can be Cause I don't want dick running over me This is baby face and I don't yield I'm a Texan fool on the football field From the Jersey Shore to Baboa Bay If you run at me, you'll have a bad day This is RB, no speedball brown Fastest man in the whole damn town Cars and ladies are a part of my creed But more than that, I feel the need for speed This is Tetris, out to make a run With shade on, I can catch a BB in the dark So now you're ready and I'm sure you'll agree The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me
it's fall. The geese are headed south, and it's time for you to hit the woods. So button things up, find where they hide, and pattern the deer you seek. Come into Cabela's Great Outdoor Days and save over 20% on Herder's Select Grade Handgun Ammo. Save $180 after mail-in rebate on Walther PPS M2 pistols with instant savings of $80. And get a Vortex Diamondback 3.5 to 10 by 50 V-Plex rifle scope, just $149.99. Shop in-store at Cabela's.com. It's fall. The geese are headed south, and it's time for you to hit the woods. So button things up, find where they hide, and pattern the deer you seek. Come into Cabela's Great Outdoor Days and save over 20% on Herder's Select Grade Handgun Ammo. Save $180 after mail-in rebate on Walther PPS M2 pistols with instant savings of $80. And get a Vortex Diamondback 3.5 to 10 by 50 V-Plex rifle scope, just $149.99. Shop in-store and at Cabela's.com. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.